I've never been so desperate I had to murder a government official in exchange for a green card so I could finally start living the life of my dreams. And to be honest, I don't think many people have. But plenty of world champions in mixed martial arts started from nothing and, well, made something of themselves. Some lived in poverty, were born in difficult circumstances, or just found themselves out of luck and out of opportunities. What did they do from there? Unrelentingly chase their dreams, of course, stopping at nothing on their way to becoming a world champion. I'm Balian from MMA On Point, and UFC 274 is just around the corner. And if you haven't heard by now, you can go to crypto.com slash fan bonus to vote for the fan bonus of the night. That's right, the top three fighters voted for will receive Bitcoin prizes, and it's all up to you. Voting couldn't be any easier. Just head to crypto.com slash fan bonus and select who you think deserves the prize money. And the winner will get $30,000 in Bitcoin prize money. Voting starts 12 hours before UFC 274 and closes 30 minutes before the main event. So make sure you get your votes in and support your favorite fighters. But for now, here are the 10 most successful rags to riches UFC champions. Number 10, Tito Ortiz. Believe it or not, the Huntington Beach bad boy was born on its sandy shores to a Mexican father and American mother, and it wasn't an easy childhood. His parents were addicted to heroin, which led to a neglected, dangerous, and traumatic upbringing. Eventually, Tito also fell into a drug-abusing lifestyle using cocaine and PCP. He got caught up in the gang culture of the area and ended up in juvie multiple times. At 13, his parents divorced and he moved back to Huntington Beach, where at high school he excelled as a wrestler with ex-UFC fighter Paul Herrera taking him under his wing. After graduating high school, Tito began working for a moving service until the wrestling coaches and Paul Herrera at Golden West College asked if he'd be interested in returning to competition. Tito tells it after a long weekend partying with the boys, he looked in the mirror and realized he was turning into his parents. So the next day he took off work to check out the Golden West College. He was fired for missing his shift and so registered at the college that same day. He went on to become an All-American and state champion. So yeah, I think he made the right decision. Tito knew Tank Abbott, an early MMA pioneer and had been helping him train his wrestling. He told him he wanted to fight and before he knew it, he was competing at UFC 13, but had to do so as an amateur without getting paid so he could keep his college scholarship, so he's the only person to compete in the UFC without getting paid. After picking up four wins, he challenged Frank Shamrock for the light heavyweight title, lost via TKO in the fourth round of what some might say was probably the best fight in MMA at that point. In his next fight, though, he fought Vandalay Silva for the vacant belt, captured it, defended it five times, and his career did eventually take a turn, but he's become a successful athlete and a businessman as a result, a far cry from where he started. Number 9. Ronda Rousey Turns out there's not much money in the Olympics. Yeah, who'd have thought? Given that you can't compete in them if you're a professional, the expectation of making a career out of being an Olympic athlete is pretty non-existent, unless you're Usain Bolt or something, also happened to be the fastest man alive. Well, Ronda Rousey trained all her life, competed in the Olympics aged 17 and 21, and all she got was a lousy medal, which turns out doesn't even pay rent, even if you are the first US woman to win a medal in judo. It's not like Ronda didn't have some struggles as a child either. She was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck, which meant for the first six years of her life, she she developed apraxia, restricting her ability to form sentences. And then she also tragically had to deal with the suicide of her paraplegic father at just age eight. But after the Olympics, her judo career was over. By 2005, she was living out of her Honda Accord and had to start working free jobs as a bartender and cocktail waitress to be able to afford the rent, sharing a studio apartment in Venice Beach, because LA prices apparently. When she was younger, her mother had taken her to the Hairston MMA Academy run by old judo coach Gokar Chivichin. That's where she met UFC vets Manny Gamburian and Carl Parisian. She had stayed in touch and after seeing Manny fight Nate Diaz at the Tough Five finale in 2007, she decided she had to compete in MMA. Manny took her to the Glendale Fight Club where she met head coach Edmund Tarverdian and the rest is pretty much history. From there, she went on a 12-fight win streak that saw her become the biggest star in the sport. She brought women's MMA to the UFC, earned an estimated $4 million in that time, along with worldwide fame, a movie career, and now a lucrative WWE contract that's supposedly millions a year. Not bad, kid. Not bad. 
Number 8. Charles Oliveira Ever heard of Guaruja? Apart from being a Brazilian coastal city, it's actually known as the Pearl of the Atlantic. But unfortunately for Charles Oliveira, he was born in its ghettos, in poverty, into a financially unstable family. To make matters worse, at the age of seven, he was diagnosed with an abnormal heart murmur as well as rheumatoid arthritis, which targeted his ankles and led to him being hospital-bound for pretty much the next two years of his life. Of course, that came medical bills and injections he had to take every 15 days. It was a wonder his family was able to support him, but they did. His father working in a slaughterhouse and selling eggs at the local market and his mother worked as a cleaning lady at a school whose principal actually paid for Charles to have further treatment and exams. His mum also talked about going from work to the hospital non-stop back and forth and at one point she didn't go home for an entire month. But two months after he left the hospital against doctor's advice he started practicing jujitsu and two months after that he won a local championship. He continued to work his ass off in the BJJ gym and his focus was solely on jujitsu. At 16 he was invited to Curitiba to train at shootbox with the likes of Vandalay Silva and Shogun Hua and was convinced to give MMA a try. Before you knew it, he was winning one night Grand Prix and finished his first nine opponents. He made his UFC debut 20 years old at 13 and 0 in 2010. Seven years later, he was 22 and 8 and following a TKO loss to Paul Felder at UFC 218, he returned to the famed Shootbox Academy, which not only gave him more experienced training partners, but took his game to the next level. He went on a tear, winning his next 10 fights and becoming UFC champion in the process. His last two fights against Poirier and Chandler netted him a combined estimated $1 million and across his 12 years with the promotion, it's estimated to be in excess of 4 million. Where do you use combat sports to change your life and earn your fortune, Charlie Olives? Number 7. Henry Cejudo the American Dream is a promise that has attracted many people to its United States. The idea being that no matter your background or the amount of change in your pocket, you can make something of yourself, work hard, and become successful. Well, it's a tough act to beat young Forrest Gump and all he achieved with America in mind, but Henry Cejudo is a true-to-life combat sports example. He is the son of undocumented illegal Mexican immigrants. He was born in the US and South LA in 1987, and at four, his parents separated after his father threatened to kill his whole family. His mom moved them to New Mexico and finally Phoenix, Arizona. With six Six other siblings and a single parent, there wasn't much, if anything, to go around. His mum worked multiple jobs and they were basically living in poverty. At nine years old, he saw Michael Johnson win the gold in the 1996 Olympics and decided right there and then he wanted to be an Olympian. And after battling each other with couch pillows, Henry and his brother Angel took up wrestling at school. They had to sell tamales on the street and his coach Frank Sines would go door to door to raise money to pay for them to enter tournaments, although that isn't uncommon for young wrestlers. This led to him being invited to train at the US Olympic Center where for the first time in his life he got his own bed. Suhudo wrestled his ass off, making it to the world in 2007 where he placed 31st after being taken out in the first round. But the following year was the Olympics, he made the team and in 2008 he won the gold medal at just 21 years old. It wasn't until 2013 where he made the switch to MMA and lost for the first time in his title fight at UFC 197 against Demetrius Johnson. Two years later though they rematched, he won his first UFC world title, defended it in a champion vs champion fight and even went up a weight class to become a champ champ. It's estimated he was paid over $1 million for his last fight against Dominic Cruz alone and has since moved into coaching in his retirement which may or may not be permanent but the American dream? Man, this guy lived it. Hell, he even named his daughter after the great country. Number 6. Anderson Silva the Spider's parents were so poor in Sao Paulo, Brazil, that when he was born, they had to give him away to his aunt and uncle because they simply couldn't afford to keep him. Lucky for him, they lived in Curitiba, home of the Shootbox Academy and some of the most badass Brazilians in the world. He grew up reading comic books, practicing Taekwondo and Capoeira, obviously hoping to be the next Spider-Man. No joke, he wore the Spider-Man suit to school so much, his mum sent him to a psychiatrist. But when that didn't work out, he found himself working one dead-end job to another, including a stint at McDonald's. Eventually, when they had the money at 16, he started training at a Muay Thai school, something 
and Kurochiba is known worldwide for, and he took his first MMA fight in 1997. Two fights in one night, in fact. A two-minute rear naked choke and then a 25-minute one-round war. After fighting in Brazil, Anderson competed in Shuto in Japan, winning the middleweight title. Then he went over to Pride, but he wasn't doing as well as he hoped. He even thought about quitting fighting and going back to Mackie D's, but Brazilian legend Big Nogueira talked some sense into him. He went on to fight in a title eliminator in his first UFC contest and then claimed the belt from Rich Franklin in his second. And although he wasn't an immediate success in the UFC, he fought in a total of 19 pay-per-views all the way from UFC 64 to UFC 234, totaling an estimated 9.6 million buys. Yeah, that's freaking insane. He became a national hero and international martial arts icon. Heck, he even stuck it to McDonald's with a reported $500,000 Burger King sponsorship. Did he become Spider-Man? Well, no, but I'm sure he gets paid more than he does. Number five, Rampage Jackson. You don't have many choices on the streets and get rich or die trying isn't a metaphor for some people, it's a reality. Just looking at Quinton Ramon Rampage Jackson, you can tell he's a pretty hardcore motherfucker. Don't know if it's the bike chain around his neck, the black plant, the tattoos, or the heart tremoring howl he lets out before his fights. He was born in Memphis, Tennessee, and if you couldn't tell from his tattoo, grew up on the streets. By eight years old, he was already being used by the local drug dealers to hide guns in his backpack and crack rocks in his skills packet. As Rampage got older, he began selling drugs himself, robbing people and getting into a lot of street fights, but he managed to avoid the gang life. Despite his peers all being street thugs and pimps, Rampage decided he wanted a better life for himself. Luckily, he found it at Rayleigh Egypt High School where he was introduced to wrestling for the first time, realized he could powerbomb people and that it could be a path to a better life than street hustling. He actually wanted to be a pro wrestler, but after graduating and heading to Lassen Community College, he was expelled after getting into a fight with a teammate. A friend of his who'd been training MMA took him to a regional show and Rampage liked what he saw. Well, he did actually get to fight that guy and it was future UFC vet Mike Pyle, and he beat him via decision in his first fight. Despite having nothing, Rampage quit his job and started training full-time. Soon enough, he made it to Japan and Pride, where he became an MMA sporting icon, went on to win a UFC world title, sold over $4 million in pay-per-views, and even got his childhood dream role playing B.A. Baracus in a Hollywood movie. At times, he's expressed regret in fighting for a living, but it's brought him success and a life, I'm sure, beyond his wildest dreams. Number 4. Kamaru Usman Believe it or not, the Nigerian nightmare may have wrestled at college in the US, but he was born and raised in Ochi, Edo State, Nigeria. His family owned a farm where he worked as a farmhand because if they didn't grow things, well, they couldn't eat. And as there was no running water, he would trek for miles to fetch it. His father left to head to the US and study to become a pharmacist. And when Kamaru was eight, he brought the entire family to live with him in Texas. But inevitably, Kamaru suffered at school and in adapting to American culture, especially seeing as his English wasn't great at the time. He wanted to play football, but it was competitive. And after picking up an injury, he packed it in. The wrestling coach suggested he give it a try and by the end of his high school year he had a record of 53-3. and three. He wrestled and won a Division II national title in 2010 while at the University of Nebraska but knew his chances of making a living with wrestling was pretty slim. At a college party he saw John Jones fight and while training for the 2012 Olympic team he met a few UFC fighters including Rashad Evans. Considering the pay in wrestling compared to MMA he realized he was in the wrong sport so he started competing winning his first fight in 2012. He did lose his second fight in 2013 though but since then has been undefeated for nearly 10 years, winning another 20 fights in the process, becoming world champion and completely changing his life. The first fight with Masvidal at UFC 251 did 1.3 million pay-per-view buys and he sold an estimated 3 million in just the last two years of his career. From the farms of Africa to the steps of Madison Square Garden, Usman has transcended any dreams he had as a child and who knows, he might even box Canelo. Number three, Conor McGregor. 
These days in Ireland or England, you can make a fairly decent wage as a plumber or an electrician, but Conor McGregor discovered that that kind of work isn't for everyone. 5am starts to fix toilets aren't always easy, and compared to the money you could be making fighting in a cage, perhaps it wasn't his calling in life. Conor was born into a working-class family in the suburbs of Dublin, a small town called Crumlin, which, as Conor tells it, involved a lot of football, fighting, and also carrying around a barbell in his school bag so he could protect himself. This need to fight became an obsession that led him to the Crumlin Boxing School of Excellence, and he ended up spending more time at the gym than anywhere else. After attending UFC Dublin, he snapped a pick with Chuck Liddell and decided that was pretty much what he wanted to do for a living, but his parents pressured him into a more realistic career and he signed up as a plumber's apprentice, which apparently according to him meant 15 hours a day of getting ordered around, making lunches and occasionally fixing a pipe. After 18 months, he packed it in to chase his dreams. His dad asked him what he was going to do if he started losing, but he told him, here dad, by the time I'm 25, I'll be a self-made millionaire. Yeah, he only bloody went and did it, didn't he? Between two world titles, four of the top five highest selling UFC pay-per-views of all time, 13 million buys in his UFC career for Mayweather fight alone, sponsors, whiskey, restaurants, who the heck even knows how much money Connor has made? Certainly more than those welfare checks he was collecting before his UFC debut though. Number two, Jose Aldo. All hail the King of Rio, a man who's showered in admiration and respect by the members of his community, his country, and at this point, the world at large. He was born in Manaus, Brazil, the son of a bricklayer, and after his mum left, it was just Jose Aldo Sr. and Jr., and dad could provide just about enough to eat and a place to sleep, but nothing more. Jose started working with his dad as a bricklayer, but as he tells it, young Jose was just obsessed with thriving in sport. He started playing football, sorry, soccer for some of you, until he kept getting beaten up on the streets while playing and so took up capoeira to defend himself. Eventually, a BJJ instructor, Marcio Pontes, spotted him training. He just started his scholarship for the poor kids in the neighborhood, and Aldo started coming by every day after Capoeira to train. He couldn't even afford to keep training Capoeira anyway. He started excelling in BJJ, with the goal being to win a championship in Rio de Janeiro, but it was two and a half thousand miles away. Did I mention he had no money? Dare to dream though, right? Luckily, the Manau government decided to invest money to hopefully win gold in Rio, and a 15-year-old Aldo was one of the lucky few that earned a plane ticket. He didn't win gold, but he did make it to the podium. The other fighters that were on the podium with him were from Team Novo Inyao. Sounds familiar, right? Aldo returned home, told Pontes he wanted to train there, raise the money for a one-way ticket, and set off for Rio. He spent the next few years living in the gym training, literally having no money to leave or eat anything but one meal a day, his training mat eventually just becoming his bed. But in 2003, he finally won gold as a purple belt in the Brazilian National Jiu-Jitsu Championships. Yay, life goal achieved. So now what? Well, while training at Novo Inyao, he got to watch the likes of Pedro Hizo, Renato Sobral, and Marco Huas as they prepared for Valet Tudo fights, and a few months later, he started fighting himself. Flash forward 18 years, and Aldo is still fighting at the highest level. He dominated the featherweight weight class for six years as a WEC and then UFC champion, and has sold nearly three million pay-per-views. Add to that his burger businesses in Rio and many other entrepreneurial exploits, and he truly is that kid from the favela that somehow, against all odds, became a king. Number one, Francis Ngannou. There aren't many beginnings that start as humbly as being a sand miner in the middle of Africa. Yeah, I know Rogan's made the comparison a hundred times to that scene at the start of Conan where he's endlessly pushing that mill around, but it is true that if you put a human being into manual labor at a young age, remove quite a few other prospects in a harsh, dangerous environment, then yeah, you're going to create a pretty tough individual. And he started when he was only 10 because, well, there wasn't any money and the family needed to eat. His father had been a notorious street fighter and so the gangs approached him to join, but he refused and used it as motivation to do something positive and pursue a career in boxing. So at 22, he began boxing despite his family disagreeing with the choice. 
But after a year of training, he became sick with hepatitis B and had to stop and return to the world of meaningless odd jobs to survive. But at 26, he thought, fuck it. It can't be that hard to travel all across Africa, the Sahara Desert, raft to Spain, and somehow make it to Paris. Yeah, it took him a few tries. I mean, there were thousands of other Africans also trying to get across from Morocco, so the security and border forces were extremely strict. Much like his UFC title, he didn't get it right the first time. He had the number for the Red Cross, whose base was over in Spain, so they got as far as they could, called for help, and were brought to a detention center across the border. The plan from here was actually to go to Germany, not France, with the 50 euros they provided at the center before letting you go. He went to Paris first to see the sights, found a boxing gym and told him. He was convinced MMA was a better way to make money than boxing and well, the rest is history. Since then, he's won a world title and although he probably hasn't been paid what he's worth yet, has completely transcended his Robert E. Howard-like backstory, made millions of dollars and returned home to Africa, a walking icon of inspiration for those that dare to dream. Yo guys, so we mentioned earlier how you can help give 60K in Bitcoin prize money to your favorite fighters. Well, how it works is this. First place and the most votes will get 30K in Bitcoin. Second place will get 20K and third place will get 10K. The fan bonus is there to give you the power to directly help your favorite fighters and help give them a chance to win. So head on over to crypto.com slash fan bonus and get voted and share who you think should win the fan bonus on social using hashtag UFC fan bonus. See you all at our fight companion for UFC 274. Take care. Thank you very much for watching everyone today. Please go ahead and like and subscribe if you did enjoy the content. We upload at least three videos every week for your viewing pleasure. Go ahead and leave a comment below if you want to join in the discussion and follow us on Twitter at MMA on Point and myself at Balian underscore plays. You can now jump in and join the community discord as well if you want to continue the discussion further. And I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. I'll see you in the next one.